0: This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Okay, uh, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, uh, truly your words are so powerful, but yet we can be so distracted that we do not see and hear and understand its power. So today we pray for you, that truly you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that can understand. We pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. When I was much younger, I actually uh, didn't wear glasses, and I was uh, one of those young people who was very proud of not wearing glasses, you know? When you're young, you look down at everybody, you Why know, what do you all need glasses for? Can't you see that? Ah, it's so clear to me, right? And then I remember in my last year of university, uh, I... Uh, I started having trouble seeing uh, the notes on the board. So I moved closer. Then I still can't see. Then finally I realized I can't even see the bus number when the bus is coming. So I went to the optometrist when I was studying in Australia. And I went to get my eye checkup. And she said, okay, come back in a week and you can get your glasses. And I was filled with dread to go to the optometrist. Because you know I thought, oh, yeah, now I have to look like or a nerd, or wear glasses now, but then when I finally got my glasses, it was like the whole world changed, you know, I could see everything suddenly, and I realized that there were so many things that I couldn't see, The, the colors, the lights, the detail of everything. So today as I look at today's passage with you, I want to ask you a question, right? How is your eyesight, what is your eyesight like Obviously you might say, well, you know, I can see me very clearly, right? But I think today's passage really deals with not just your physical eyesight, but your spiritual eyesight. And that's really the issue that we'll be coming back to again and again and again. What is our spiritual eyesight like? So today we begin uh, the passage by looking at uh, Mark chapter 7 verse 24 and we're introduced to this uh, woman in this place so in verse 24 says jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of tyre he entered a house and did not want anyone to know it yet he could not keep his presence secret so you know in singapore often uh we're very stressed at work work is very stressful in fact i was just talking to somebody i know somebody right now who's very stressed at work Sometimes when we're very stressed about what do we do, well, we aim for the long weekend, and then we go up north, right? Maybe you go to Bangkok, you go to Krabi, or you go to Phuket, or you go to Koh Samui for a break. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing. Okay, so if you look at this map, map, ah, yeah, you can actually see that Jesus went north. Okay, so Israel is there, and he goes north to this place called. Tyre. Tyre is in this place called Phoenicia. Okay, So, there's Jesus. He's been having a hard time. He's been doing lots of ministry, but he's been getting lots of conflict from the Pharisees last week. Remember, we saw that Jesus had a lot of conflict about the hand washing. He and his disciples go up to, not Phuket, but to Tyre. So, he's there for a break. He's there with his disciples. He's got his sunnies on, his sun hat, tan lotion. He's ready for a break. But then... Unfortunately, he couldn't keep his secret. His presence a secret. So in verse 25, he says, and In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. So we see that Jesus is in a Gentile area outside of Israel. And who does he meet there? He meets a Gentile woman. We are told that she's a Greek. She speaks Greek. She worships the Greek gods. So what does she want from Jesus? Well, the woman begs Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. And what does Jesus say to the woman? In verse 27, First, let the children eat all they want, he told her but it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now this is uh shocking. I mean, really, when you read this passage, it's shocking. Um, it seems really insensitive. Seems really harsh. Seems really uncaring. It's a bit like, you know, I don't know about you, but actually, I, I do know a lot of you because I, I go out for meals. So you know, sometimes you go to the hawker center and you see the lady coming with the papers. Uh, usually, in your mind you sort of think maybe i should buy the three tissue paper packets for one dollar sometimes you do right but here you know can you imagine this woman comes all the way to jesus's door her daughter is possessed by the demon she gets on her knees and begs jesus and what did Jesus say sorry uh i'm not i'm not free at the moment and that's basically what he's saying actually if you if you let's think about what he's saying he's saying let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to dogs. But what does that mean? Okay, so uh, you can see the slide up here. Okay, so this is my dog. Okay? Now, my dog is uh, perpetually hungry for my food. So if you have a dog and you're having uh, dinner with your children, is it right for you to take food from your children's plate and give it to your dog? Actually, I shouldn't be asking this question because some of you might actually say yes. Okay? But it is not right for you to take food from your children's plate and give it to your dog. Because the dogs eat the leftovers. Actually, you're not supposed to feed the the leftovers to the dog anyway because actually it's not good for your dog. But in case you didn't know that, you always feed your children first and then you feed your dog. Okay? You don't feed your dog and then your children and that's basically what Jesus is saying to this woman she's saying look first let the children eat and then the dogs will eat and this is very insulting to the woman because first of all he's saying that she's a dog right she's like second class compared to the children so how does the woman understand it and how does Jesus understand it I think within the context of this passage uh, if you go to the next slide Okay, you click it, I think, a few times. The children, I think within the context, are the Jews, and specifically uh, the Gentiles, uh, not the Gentiles, but the disciples who are with Jesus. And Jesus is saying, look, I'm spending time with the disciples, I'm spending time with the Jews, because they get to eat first. They get, they get me first, right? I spend my time, my energy and attention on them. They deserve to eat first. And therefore, as a Gentile, because we really know, we've been told many times, she's living in Phoenicia, she's Syro-Phoenician, she's Greek, you come after. Now, in many ways, uh, she could take this the wrong way, say, ah, I'm very insulted, right? Now, this is very, very demeaning for me. I'm leaving. Right? That's it. But she doesn't say that. Look at what she says. She says in verse 28, Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Now this is a reply of great confidence and faith and deep spiritual understanding in Jesus. She's saying to Jesus, Look, I don't want all your time. I don't want all your attention. I don't want all your energy. I just want the crumbs. Because, you know, the reality is, if you look at uh, the normal household, when you're eating, like uh, in the barbecue when my dogs come, usually, because we don't eat properly, stuff will fall on the floor, isn't it? Like, you know, bits of meat that you dropped off, bits of bread that you spill. Anything falls on the floor. And then what happens when it falls on the floor? The dogs will eat. And that's what the woman is saying. The woman is saying, look, I don't need all your time. I don't need the whole loaf. I don't need the food on your children's plate. I don't need the food or your attention which is being given to the Jews or the disciples. I just need crumbs. I just need scraps of food. And this shows great insight because her belief and faith in Jesus is so great that she recognizes that even just the crumbs and the scraps of Jesus' time is enough to heal her daughter. And that's why if you look at the passage, she doesn't require for Jesus to come to her house. She doesn't ask Jesus to come and lay hands on her daughter. She knows that all it takes is for Jesus. He doesn't ever say anything, right? Just to will it and her daughter will be well. That is the insight that she has into the power of Jesus. The power of Jesus as God. So this is the first miracle that we see in this passage. Then we come to the next miracle in verse 31. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee into the region of the Decapolis. You can see that the Decapolis is actually, again, in a Gentile region. So the next map will show that a bit clearer. Okay, see the Decapolis is outside of Israel, outside of God's people, the Jews. So again, here he's in this largely Gentile population, and here he meets a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. So verse 33, Jesus took him aside, away from the crowd, and he put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit, touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven, and with a deep sigh, said, Epiphora, which means be open. And this, the man's ears were open, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Now obviously in, Today's climate of COVID-19, you might say, hey, why does Jesus do this unhyg- unhyg- unhygienic thing, right? He, uh, later on, you can see this picture, but can you imagine he spit on his hand as he stuck his hand into the guy's mouth, right? It's like, yeah, right. It's like, why would you do something like that? We already saw that Jesus could heal the woman's daughter without doing anything. So why this thing about the spit? Okay, now, sliver, right? Keep that in mind, because this is very important going forward. But it seems as if Jesus deliberately here uses the saliva or the spit to show that something is happening, right? There's this connection with this man to to show that it's a visible sign of healing. But put aside the spit for a moment because we'll come back to it later. But we see that two great miracles have been done, right? The, The woman's daughter has been healed. The man who's deaf and can't speak can now speak clearly and can now hear. So what is the reaction of the Gentile crowd around Jesus? So in verse 37, people were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now this is very, very important, right? Uh, Because this is like a summary of what the Gentile crowd see in Jesus. Remember we said that Spiritual sight is very important in this passage. So what do the Gentiles see in Jesus? They see that Jesus has done everything well. And this is very important. They see that he does everything well. Okay, so they've seen the miracles. They see that Jesus has done very, everything well. And then now we come, chapter 8, to another great miracle. So in this miracle... It's actually uh, quite similar to the miracle that we just read about in our responsive reading, the feeding of the 5,000 men. But here we see a different sort of miracle. So let me read it quickly. So during those days, another large crowd gathered, and since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called the disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home... Hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked, Seven, they replied. Then he got the crowd to sit down, and he fed them. And the key thing was, the last part, isn't it? In verse 8, The people ate and were satisfied, and afterwards the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces. That were left over about four thousand were present, so as you read this passage, we can't help but think back to the feeding of the five thousand men which we read in the responsive reading. Now, some people say, oh you know, maybe Mark got confused, you know maybe Mark thought that there were two he- two feedings, but actually there was only really one like you know Mark got his facts wrong. But we can see that actually there's a lot of differences between the feeding of the 5,000 men and the feeding of the 4,000 people. First of all, there are different numbers, right? 5,000 4,000 is different. Uh, there were five loaves and two fish in the 5,000. There are seven loaves and a few fish here. And actually, if you pay really great attention, you can see that there's even greater differences. In the first feeding of the 5,000, Jesus had compassion. He had compassion because they were like sheep without shepherds. But in the feeding of the 4,000, Jesus had compassion. He had compassion because He had done a three-day Bible study and the people were hungry. So there were lots and lots of differences. But the similarity is at the end, isn't it? Because at the end, in the feeding of the 4,000 people, the feeding of the 5,000 was that out of this small amount of food, the five loaves, two fish, seven loaves and a few fish, all the people ate and were satisfied. There were 12 full left before, and now there were 7 baskets left. So what we see here is Jesus doesn't just do the miracle once, but Jesus does the miracle twice. And if we look back to the feeding of the 5,000, we already said this is only something that God can do. Only God can feed like this when He put the people through the desert in Egypt, He fed them manna. So here Jesus doesn't just do what God can do once. He does it twice. So here we have clear, clear signs that Jesus is God. He does great things. Helps the woman's daughter. He heals the deaf and mute man. He feeds the 4,000. He feeds the 5,000. Indeed, Jesus does all things well. And that's why verse 11 is such a great shock. Because in verse 11 it says, The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed over to the other side. Now when you think about it, Jesus had done great signs already, right? He'd healed the woman's daughter. He'd fed the 4,000. He'd make the, the deaf hear, the mute speak. But yet, what was the reaction of the Pharisees? The Jewish Pharisees, they were skeptical. They were doubtful. They were questioning and trying to trap and test Jesus. Now, this is very important, right? Because what's happening here is, After the miracles, we then begin to see the reactions to the miracles. The facts are clear, the information is clear, the data is clear, but the reactions are different. So for the Gentiles, they see the data, they see the information, they see the facts, and what's the the reaction? Jesus does all things well. But here the Pharisees see the same information, the same facts, and the same data. And what happened? They come to Jesus with hostility, unbelief, with doubts, with skepticism. So as we come to this passage, we begin to see that with the same data, the same information, the same facts, there are different reactions. There's the woman who reacts with faith, the Gentile crowd who says Jesus does everything well, and the Pharisees who are skeptical, hostile to Jesus. And that's why Jesus sighs deeply, right? He's frustrated, he's exasperated. He's like, what more signs do you want me to do? I've already fed the 4,000 people, I've fed the 5,000, I healed the woman, I also make the deaf hear and the mute speak. And you still want some more signs. But the danger of the reaction of the Pharisees, is something that is also a danger for the disciples. Because as we look on to verse 14, we see that there is this journey in the boat, right? So Jesus has gone to the boat and he's now crossing over to the other side. And in verse 14, the disciples have forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of the sorry that of Herod they discussed with this with one another and said it is because we have no bread Away of the discussion Jesus asked them why are you still talking about having no bread do you still not see or understand are your hearts hardened do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear And don't you remember when I broke the five laws for the five thousands, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven laws for the four thousand, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? So as we look at this passage, we may look at the Pharisees and think, well, you know, the hostility, the skepticism, that's just the Pharisees. But Jesus says to the disciples, and he says to us at the same time, beware of the yeast or the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. Now for those of you who don't uh, bake bread, uh, yeast is this. It's just a powdery looking stuff. So uh, you can tell I'm not much of a bread maker, right? Okay, So you take the yeast and you only take a little bit of it and you mix it into a whole bunch of flour. Okay, then... You get your hands dirty and you mix it all up together, and then you get your bread. And because of the yeast, uh, the bread will then rise, give you a nice loaf of bread. Now, yeast then is a, a parable or analogy of something a little bit mixing into something which, like, permeates and you know goes everywhere, isn't it? But apparently, in the ancient world as well. Uh, yeast was a picture of corruption. Because, you know, yeast itself is kind of like how you make uh, yogurt or cheese, right? If you, if you actually, your immune system is no good, uh, yeast is actually uh, uh, no good for you as well. So yeast itself is a picture of corruption. And I think that's what Jesus is kind of saying, right? It's like the the yeast of the Pharisees, the yeast of Herod, is like a corrupting influence which can spread into the disciples and it can also spread to us as Christians. See, the Pharisees had a very cynical, skeptical, doubting, hardened attitude towards Jesus and his miracles. Herod was opposed to Jesus. And so for us, as we look at this passage, we can, we see the data, we see the information, we see the facts but we have the same attitude as the Pharisees. We're kinda of like put our hands together and we have this uh you know, I'm not very impressed attitude. We we see the miracles. We we just read the miracles, right? Jesus fed four thousand. Yeah, Jesus yeah, he he made the guy here yeah, yeah, the guy could speak again, but okay. You know, what's for morning tea? And in many ways, uh when Jesus sighed, it was because he was exasperated with the lack of understanding, the lack of faith which came from the inability to see the facts and the data and the information which does not transform itself into faith. So we are left then with this problem for the disciples. Uh, the Pharisees were clearly opposed to Jesus. The woman and the Gentiles were like more accepting of Jesus. But where do the disciples fit in? Are they closer to the Pharisees? Are they closer to the Gentile woman and the crowds? Because it seems as if they also cannot see. They also have trouble understanding. They've they've seen the feeding of the 5,000. They've seen the feeding of the 4,000. But they're still talking about bread. Something wrong, right? They don't understand. So then we are told that there's another Miracle. In verse 22, they came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit, he spit again in saliva. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people, they look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, Don't even go into the village. Now, remember I said before about the saliva, right? So here again we see the saliva thing, the spit thing. I, I, I think, uh, it's a bit weird, right? I mean, like, Jesus spits onto the guy's eyes, and he t- touches it. And then before Jesus spit on his hand, he stuck his hand in the guy's mouth. So there's this strange spitting. But if you look at this passage, it's also very strange because for the very first time, we see that Jesus doesn't heal immediately. It's like, I gave you one antibiotics. You're not very well. You come back again after taking seven days. I'll give you another stronger antibiotics. Okay, now you're better. right? But that never happens to Jesus. It's like Jesus always heals the first time. So why do we have this two-stage healing, right? You know, he he heals a guy and then oh I can't see very well, and then oh he heals again. Okay, now I can see better. Is it? He got the wrong prescription. Oh sorry, I I only gave you 2.5, but you need a 4.5 or something. But you notice here that there is similarities between the hearing, right, speaking, and the seeing. It's kind of like joined together by this saliva spit theme, And I think it's because the healing of the deaf man, the blind man, is in many ways linked to what happens next to the disciples. Because we know at this stage the disciples are not seeing properly. They're not hearing properly. That's what Jesus says in the passage before, right? Remember Jesus said, do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts under... Do you have ear, eyes fail to see and ears, but fail to hear. So in many ways, the disciples are suffering from the same problem spiritually that the blind man has physically and the deaf man has in his ears. So as we come to the last section of verse 27, it says, Jesus and his disciples went on to the village around Caesarea Philippi On the way, he asked them, "Why? who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Now here, as we look at this passage, I think in the English, not so helpful, right? Because when it says, what about you? Who do you say I am? Uh, we don't have a, in the English language, when we say you, it's always like, it's generic. It's no, there's no singular plural, right? You could be, I could be speaking to one person. I could be speaking to a group. Uh, but actually, in the English, original language, Jesus is speaking to the disciples saying, who are yous? Because you know, in Australia, they have this, like, if you want to speak to a whole group of people, they say yous, right? So, who are, what do yous think? Okay? That's what he's saying, right? What did the whole generic of you, all of you, the 12 disciples, think? And, and Peter is speaking on behalf of the disciples and says, you are the Christ. So what is happening here is that really, okay, it's like the disciples' spiritual eyes up to this point, as we can see when they're on the boat with the bread, it's like they have this imperfect picture of Jesus, right? They, they can't see clearly like that. They're like the man who's like partially... Uh, heal they're kind of like seeing but not clearly but after Jesus heals the blind man, after he makes the, the deaf ears open, in the same way spiritually, he opens the eyes of the disciples, he unstops the ears of the disciples so that they can really hear him and understand him and see that finally he is the Christ which is the next slide, right? So they finally see that Jesus is the Christ so when we look at this passage actually it's really quite interesting you know when you go through you take your time and go back again huh? it's like as we begin we see that people spiritually have eyes and ears which don't really understand Jesus they are like they, they kind of got this fuzzy picture of Jesus okay so the Gentiles They see all the facts, the data, the information, and they say, Jesus does all things well. That's a very easy uh, memory verse. You can remember it, right? Jesus does all things well. But that's not the complete picture, right? It cannot be that just Jesus does all things well. It's like their eyes are kind of like not really seeing the, the whole picture. Their ears are kind of like not hearing everything. Because... Only after Jesus allows your eyes to see spiritually and your ears to hear properly, then you see the reality of Jesus is the Christ. That is what the data, the facts and information are really pointing to. Yes, okay, Jesus is all things well, but what does it mean? When you can really see and hear spiritually, then you recognize Jesus is the Christ. But on top of that, it's this like, this is, this is movement from seeing in a way to really, really understanding. It's not enough for us to come to church and say, okay, Jesus does all things well. We need to have the spiritual eyes to see that Jesus, because he does all these things well, must be Christ, the everlasting King. He must be God. And so, in conclusion, as we come here to church today, we have the facts we have the information, we have the data. But does that lead us to have greater understanding? Or are we like the Pharisees? Have we been corrupted by the yeast of the Pharisees, the leaven of Herod? Where we just sort of sit there and think, okay, yeah, Jesus did all these things, you know. fed the 4,000, okay. Make the deaf hear, okay. Make the blind see, okay. Make the mute speak, all right. But but there's no real deep affection in our hearts. There's no real... It doesn't touch us, you know. Why is that? There's one more, right? We, we have all these facts, the data and the information, but we come here, we listen, we read, but our faith doesn't grow. Why is that? Why, why is this happening? We're reading the same thing, but somehow we don't come to the expected conclusion. Well, I think, finally, as we look at this passage, it's because our eyes are not really seeing properly, right? We think we're seeing properly spiritually, but we're not. We think we're hearing properly, but actually, we're also not. I think what we really need is to pray to God, to ask God that He'll give us eyes that we'll really see. That we pray to God and ask God that He'll give us ears that we'll really be able to hear. That we ask God, they give us hearts that they are really able to understand. Because if we've not learned anything from this passage, it is only because Jesus opens eyes and Jesus opens ears that people really come to a true understanding of Jesus. That people come, like the disciples, to a true faith in Jesus. So as we come here today at church and we read this passage, we see the miracles of Jesus, we see the data, we see the facts, we see the information. If our hearts are not touched, if we don't feel on fire for Jesus after what we've read, it's because our eyes are not seeing properly and our ears are not hearing properly. So we need to go to God, ask Him, Dear God, please give me sharper our spiritual eyes. You know? Give me better spiritual hearing. Give me a heart uh, which are softened. So let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you, help us to see that we truly, like the disciples, have eyes that see, but do not really understand. We have ears that hear, but cannot perceive. We have hearts which are hardened. And we need the supernatural work that Jesus did all those years ago. We pray that indeed, we may open, we may have our eyes opened, we may have our ears opened, we may have our hearts opened, so that when we see the facts, the data, the information, we will not be like the Pharisees, hardened, cynical, skeptical, lazy, but rather we would be more like the disciples. We'll be more like the Gentile woman, where we will grow in our faith, grow in our understanding, grow in our appreciation of Jesus, who is God and Christ. We pray for all these things in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.org.